Yisiva Shalom, Salam Rabbi Parshas B'Shalach. Plowing our way through Sefer Shmos. Unbelievable how quickly the story unfolds. So we are on page Kuf Hay, in the middle of a piece, which is the um, the famous Matatak Yelai Daber B'nei Yisrael V'Yisau. This Parsha, Parshas B'Shalach, is really the the main source for the discussion about the relationship between Hishtadlas, taking initiative, and Hashkacha Pratis, divine intervention, divine providence. Which is it? Are we supposed to sit back and feel Kosh Shalom's in charge? So don't go to the doctor, and what do you have to try to work, and what do you have to make an effort? Or do you say, no, it's all up to us? And of course the answer is somewhere in between. There are different perspectives. I spoke about this in our Amunashir last week. has one perspective where for him Hishtadlas is a mitzvah. You're supposed to do Hishtadlas, but realize that the success of your Hishtadlas is entirely and utterly dependent on the Ribbon Shalom. You make your effort, whether that effort and initiative translates into success is entirely up to Hashem. Whereas for the Ramban, Hishtadlis is not a mitzvah, it's a concession. Really, if you were on the level, you would sit back, you'd trust in Hashem. He writes, and it's scary, it sounds like Scientology or Christian science. The Ramban writes, somebody who's really on that level when they're sick wouldn't go to the doctor. Kurdish Baruch Hu is the ultimate doctor. Why would you go to the human doctor when Kurdish Baruch Hu can diagnose and heal you if you just put your faith in him? However, since most of us aren't on that level, as a concession, we take initiative. So it's a fundamental disagreement on whether initiative is a concession or whether initiative is a, is a mitzvah. That's part of the way Hashem set up the world. Post Gan Eden, he kicked us out and he said, Good, now go take initiative. But realize, initiative is actually an exercise in Amuna, Meaning that take the initiative, but all the while realize that whether the initiative works or not, is not up to you, it's up to me. Never correlate success with your effort. Take pride in your effort because you need to undergo the effort in order to unlock the door to success. But whether that an effort was successful only was with the approval. You submit your effort to Hashem for approval. If He approves, your effort is successful. But He could disapprove. You think you're the only one? You think there's no one else who worked as hard or was smart as hard or had a great ingenuity? And they flopped and you succeeded. So that up to you or that up to Hashem? And the opposite is also true. Why is it some people have the same intelligence and effort and initiative and ideas succeed while you fail? It's up to Hashem. So we take our initiative, but ultimately we concede or, or we submit that it's up to Hashem. And that's what's going on over here. They get to the Yamsuf. They got the Egyptians pursuing behind them. They're squeezed literally between a rock and a hard place, the Yamsuf in front of them. And what do they do? They start doing exactly what you'd think Gershborch would have tremendous pride in them for doing. They start dominating. Isn't that what they've been trained to do? Isn't that exactly what they're supposed to do? Kosh Baruch Hu says, what are, you, what are you crying? What are you davening for? Close the tehillim, close the sitter, and start walking. And start walking. So, that's what we're up to. V'apizah yishlomar, madam medrash al-pasak hayam ra'a vayanas. Ma'ra'a arono sha Yosef. Pasak says that the sea saw and it split. And what did the sea see? It saw, that's a tongue twister, the coffin, the aron of Yosef. It's kind of bizarre. You're talking about the holiest, righteous people of the time, Moshe and Aaron, and you're talking about 600,000 men, two to three million men, women, and children, among them incredibly righteous, righteous enough that they were redeemed from Israel, and yet it's not the merit of anyone living of the two to three million people, it's because of the Person who's deceased in the coffin? So what's the answer? Is that Moshe, Moshe, Yosef, when Eishas Potiphar relentlessly seduced him, 
And he had every reason in the world to give in, to fail that test. Nevertheless, he dug deep and he was able to transcend his nature, transcend all human nature, at least male nature, and overcome that desire, that temptation, and say no, and to run out. As it says, In that moment, he wore the Yitzhahara of the entire world. It means he felt the, the pressure. He felt the temptation, the desire, the drive, the appetite of the whole world combined. I'm going to loosely translate that. That the wife of Potiphar understood that if she could break Yosef in that moment, if Yosef, who supposedly is the epitome of righteousness, the most noble, the greatest, the holiest Jew, who represents the ultimate synergy or combination of the 12 Shvatim, the best of what they all have to offer in combination. So he is the peak, the pinnacle. And if she could bring him down, if she could get him to violate his core beliefs, principles, values, then she would break the Jewish people. There would not be a formation of a Jewish people. So where did Yosef find the wherewithal? Where did he find the strength to say no? You've got a beautiful woman. No one's home that day, right? She orchestrated to, to seduce him this final time. On a day, it was a, it was a non-Jewish, idolatrous holiday. So everyone's at the church praying. She feigns illness so she could be home alone. The landscaper and the electrician and the butler and the, and the maid are all off that day because it's a national holiday. She's got the house to herself. And Yosef comes. It says, Lasas Malachto. Rashi quotes two opinions. One of them is Yosef was ready that day. He came ready, he was going to give in, that was it. If she would come on to him one more time, he just couldn't hold back. And yet, even with her preparation, and even with his anticipation and, and being prepared to, to violate, nevertheless, he found the strength. Where did he find it from? It says, He ran outside. He fled and he ran outside. What does that mean, outside? It's the same hachutza of Avram Avinu. When Hashem tells Avraham, go outside and look up at the stars. So here too, he flees outside. Those are the domestic no shell uh, Yaakov. That he... That's uh, Rashi quotes also the domestic right. no shell 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 domestic no shell Aviv. He right. saw his image of his father, which means either he looked in a mirror and he looked incredibly like his father. So he saw the image of his father, the reflection of his father, which made him reflect and reconsider on what he wanted to do. Or it means. No, the pronoun is not actually his father, but him. He saw the image his father had of him, and he realized that that was past it was beneath him to do this. But here we're quoting a different, that just as Hashem took Avram outside, so too, that's where Yosef drew the strength. Why did Hashem take Avram outside? Avram is an old man, and he has no legacy, he has no future. He has Ishmael, but he has no child whom he sees as the investment of his future, and he's ready to give up. Kashbarakhu says, Come outside for a second, why don't you look up at the stars? So, what was the image of come outside, and what is the message of look up at the stars? So, the Salam Rebbe is saying, based on the Medrash, what Kushbarg was telling Avram is, don't look in the natural, don't be down here. Close the medical textbooks, close the research, close all the rules and laws of nature, 
close the limitations of being among the finite and go look up at the stars. I want you to be not on earth looking up at heaven. Come up to heaven with me and look down at earth from there. Because from the perspective of heaven, from the perspective of transcendence, from the perspective of being above nature, there's nothing that's impossible. I'm the Rebbe Shalom, I created the world. When I set it in motion, it operates based on laws of nature. And for the most part, everyone is bound by nature. But the Jewish people ain't mazal Israel. The Jewish people define nature. Our existence, our survival defies nature. And that began exactly with this experience. When Hashem tells Avram, come outside and look up at the stars, what he's saying is, throw away your rules of history, throw away the natural order, understand that you are part of a people who defy logic, who defy nature, who defy laws. And therefore there's nothing beneath me. You live, you operate up in the stars. Ein mazal Yisrael. You're not living on earth bound by astrological signs. You're living in the heavens, bound only by me, by the Ribbono Shalom. So Salam Rebbe says, Torah here is telling us what is a strategy, what's the formula for transcending, for succeeding, for triumphing over our Yetzirah. When you feel compelled by that Yetzirah, you're drawn to say that thing, to look at thing, to act that way, to eat that thing, to go that place, to hang out with those people, to speak that language. When you're drawn to do the wrong thing, recognize that even though you say, according to all the natural laws, this is me. What can I tell you? I'm a man. I have this drive. I look at these things. I act in that way. It's the way God created men. What can I tell you? No. Understand, you're part of a people who have the capacity to climb that ladder, to reach for the stars, to go That's what Yosef tapped into. If Yosef would have given in in that moment, and any of us had to be his defense attorney, we could have put forth a pretty compelling defense. Yosef had been abandoned by his family, sold into slavery. Yosef is all alone. He doesn't have a connection to his educational system, to his inspiration, to his value system. Yosef is not a home wrecker. He didn't initiate with Aishas Potiphar. This woman has relentlessly, relentlessly, relentlessly pursued him. And besides the fact, Potiphar is impotent. Potiphar can't perform. And therefore, Nebuch, this woman, is, is neglected and deprived of what she deserves. You could put forth tremendous defense. And look at Potiphar. Don't think Yosef is violating Potiphar. His whole home has grown exponentially in value because everything Yosef touches turns to gold. He's managing Potiphar's assets, his portfolio. And look how much he's made. He's, he's, he's done for Potiphar. If you had to put forth a defense for Yosef, it wouldn't be entirely moral, but you could put forth a pretty compelling defense. And nevertheless, and you'd say, what do you want from Yosef? He's a man. This woman has relentlessly pursued him over and over and over again. A man who has nothing left to lose. A man who's done everything for this family. And he's doing a favor for Potiphar. So you put forth a defense. And yet, even with that, Yosef finds the capacity and that's what the Torah is telling us by using these same words, hachutza, like Avram went outside and reached for the stars. So where did Yosef find that strength, even though he had every excuse, even though there was probably a, he was compelled to do the wrong thing? He, he, he confronted that compulsion with an equal and opposite force. And what's the equal and opposite and greater force? Was stretching for the heavens, realizing he could be lamalam and ateva. I don't have to give in. I don't have to give in to what feels natural. I don't have to give in to what the rest of the world describes as natural urges. And it's in that merit that the sea split, but opposite that needed the Jewish people also transcending the natural order. The natural order in that moment is to have anxiety, to have fear, to say we're going to drown in the sea or we're going to be killed by the Egyptians. To start walking when it made no sense 
Like, what's Nachshon ben Amenad of thinking? I'm going to start walking, and then what? I'm going to swim across the whole sea? What's going to happen when the water, we all know the Medrash, his knees, his waist, his chest, his shoulders, his mouth, and they got up to his nose, right? The last ability to breathe. So what was he thinking when the water went up past his nose? So the answer is at that moment he wasn't thinking. He suspended his thinking. And he said, I don't know how what I'm doing makes sense in the natural world. I have no clue how this could possibly succeed according to the regular ordinary laws of nature. But we are a people of Malam Manateva. My great-grandfather went outside and looked up at the stars, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm looking up at the stars, and I'm hoping for something special, supernatural. That this is dependent on the old, and there's a, there's a very lofty secret. When you act in a supernatural way, when you don't feel crushed or disappointed or anxious or worried or bound by the ordinary, when you expect the extraordinary, then the extraordinary happens. Hashem wants to see you take that leap of faith. Hashem wants to see you not feel that He's limited by anything. He wants to know that you think He's all capable. And how do you show Hashem that we think He's all capable? By even believing in the extraordinary, the supernatural. So that's Viso. Start walking. Don't dive into me helplessly and hopelessly. Don't dive into me passively like there's nothing for you to do. There is something for you to do in all circumstances and at all times. And what is there for us to do? For us to do is to take that leap, is to go above and beyond, to do even what makes no sense because the initiative translates into the emuna. The initiative is an expression of emuna. There's there's an amuna where you actually become passive, where you put your entire trust in Hashem, and there's another form of amuna. This Reusa del Tata, because Bokh is going to reveal himself not from above but from below, that it's not enough to speak to Hashem or to be Mikabel. But you have to show Mesiris Nefesh on your part. You have to try some experimental treatment that has no proof, no evidence, but you need to give HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the way Revolba describes it is, you have to give HaKadosh Baruch Hu a hook to hang his hat on. Meaning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't perform explicit Nisim. He's not going to suspend the natural order in a way for the world to see that there's an explicit miracle. So Kishbarka will operate in a way where it can be explained away through nature. So when you do initiative, what you're doing is you're saying, Hashem, I'm going to give you the means through which someone could falsely and accurately conclude that this was just natural. So Kishbarka needs a partnership. He needs help. He needs us to be Moser Nefesh. He needs us to be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to go for that long shot meeting. I don't know whether it's going to yield success or not. I don't even know if it makes sense, but I'm going to do it. Because if Kishbarka is going to help me, I've got to, if I look at the odds, I'm not suggesting or endorsing here the lottery, but I'm saying if you look at the odds, it makes absolutely no sense to buy one ticket. 
But if you want a Kosh Baruch Hu to transfer a billion dollars to your pocket, it's not going to happen by sitting back on your couch. You've got to give him the hook. By buying one ticket, buy two tickets, you're a fool. You haven't increased your chances. But buying one ticket, you give a Kodesh Baruch with the hook. And now, if you were to win, so a person could say, yeah, there's no God. God didn't make you a billionaire. Yeah, the odds were one in whatever, and you were the one. You were the lucky winner. Like lightning struck you several times. That's what the odds would have to be. So whether it's experimental treatment or take going, taking some meeting, which seems against all odds, or buying a lottery ticket, or whatever the case may be in our lives, the Mesiris Nefesh, not that those are all great examples of a real Mesiris Nefesh, but the Mesiris Nefesh, so Nachshu Ben Amenadav showed a Mesiris Nefesh. He said, I'm going to start walking. And I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know if it's going to play out, but I'll be no worse than if I stand still here. But I'm going to show Kodesh Baruch Hu that I'm going to take my effort Mesiris Nefesh. My Amuna is so great, I'm willing to be Moser Nefesh for my Amuna. I'm willing to do my part. We see that with all the miracles of Kodesh Baruch Hu, when he transcended nature, the Jewish people had to begin the, the had to take the initiative. They had to launch it. When it came to the miracle of Purim, sure, they fasted and they davened. But what really began the whole thing was that Mordechai refused to bow down. I thought he was going to say something different, which was that Esther went in uninvited. Talk about Mesir's Nefesh. Mesir's Nefesh was, I don't know how this is going to play out, Esther going into the king uninvited, or Mordechai refusing to bow down. As it says, Esther So when it comes to the miracle of Chris Yamsef, when it comes to the miracle of Purim, Esther and Mordechai both had to be Moser Nefesh to do something that was imprudent, to do something that was against all odds, but yet it was an initiative through which a Kosh Baruch Hu could reveal his hand. so the army didn't go out singing some Golani, Golani. I'm, sure, I'm sure they sang that too, right? But I'm sure they sang that too. But they didn't just sing a song having to do with what unit and the pride of their logo, their badge. They went out singing Mizmor Yoshe B'Seser, which is all about a Kodesh Baruch Hu is my refuge, he's my protection. Eftachbo, I put all my trust in him. That means to say that an army can go out putting trust in themselves, an army can go out putting trust in their generals, an army can go out putting trust in their military equipment, or an army can go out, having done all of that, but putting their trust and faith in Hashem. So that's what in Hanukkah the Hashemunayim did. Because really, if they would have said, does this make sense? We're fewer in number. We're weak. We have a disadvantage. There's absolutely no way. If you've ever seen the, the movie um, Above and Beyond, Steven Spielberg's sister, about the original Air Force of Israel in 1948. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's an incredible film. I don't know if you know, the Israel's original Air Force was made of like five planes that was pieced together from old car parts and American fighter pilots who had fought in World War II 
risked their lives by even making that thing climb into the sky, and somehow that fooled the other neighboring countries that Israel had some formidable air force to be reckoned with while these clunkers could barely stay in the sky. When you watch this movie, it's mamish, a miracle of miracles. It's almost impossible to believe that's a miraculous. So as they climbed, as they pulled back on the throttle and made those airplanes climb, they didn't say, okay, Air Force One, here we go, we're about to destroy the neighboring armies. They were saying, they were davening, their faith is in Hashem. They don't sit back passively. There's a faith. There's a hope. There's an optimism. So this is now the punchline. This is what we're getting to. Every Shabbos we say, on Shabbos and Yontif, Kiddush, Davening, it's all Zechel Etzias Mitzrayim. It all commemorates the Exodus. Hainu, Shekola Shabbosos Vayom Tovim Barim Lahazkel Yehudi Shetachlisov Yehudu Latzesu Lihigami Mitzrayim. What is the connection between Shabbos? What's happening at our Shabbos table? The Zechel Etzias Mitzrayim. And don't we do that once a year? To Seder. Sfarim even get dressed. Not only Liros Atzmo, Laharos Atzmo. Seder is when we see ourselves. We buy all the props and we tell the story. And we, and we wax nostalgic. So what is Shabbos? So he says, the idea is, every Shabbos and Yantav we remind ourselves, our mission, our destiny, our fate, is to leave and redeem ourselves from Mitzrayim. And what does that mean, to try to redeem ourselves from Mitzrayim in our lives? It means, first of all, restoring our sense of faith. All week long, our faith is rattled. During the week, we went to a funeral, and during the week, we heard bad news, and during the week, our business meeting didn't work out, and during the week, we ran into a challenge. During the week, our faith gets rattled, but comes back to Shabbos, and we remember that it's in the merit of Amunah that we redeemed from Mitzrayim. And the second, When we talk about Shabbos, when we talk about the daily mitzvah of remembering Yitzhak Mitzrayim, remembering how the sea split is part of that experience. This is eternal. In the physical realm of the spiritual realm, when we feel all doors have been closed and all hope has been lost, and this is it. It is what it is, and what the world is giving us, and the cards that were dealt, and we become very passive, and we become very fatalistic, and we become very accepting of the reality, the illness, the relationship, the marriage, our children, our professional, our religious standing, our relationship with Hashem. We become very fatalistic and very passive, and we simply want to just accept it is what it is. So then Shabbos comes, and as we remember, that when we're willing to be Moser Nefesh, when we're willing to reach and to go above and beyond, when we're willing to leave our comfort zone, hachutza, to go out of our comfort zone and look up at those stars. When we are willing to transcend nature, when we are willing to act in an extraordinary fashion, when we're willing to take risks, when we're willing to endure suffering or pain, when we're willing to reach for the stars, even when it makes no sense, and it's utterly and entirely illogical, when we're willing to believe in the extraordinary, and the extraordinary happens. There are times that we feel drawn towards compulsive behavior. 
compulsively eating the wrong things, compulsively not exercising, compulsively gossiping, compulsively talking on shul, compulsively looking at things on the internet, compulsively yelling at our children, our wife, compulsively... Sometimes we confront a Yitzhahara, where that Yitzhahara is not just about a momentary lapse in judgment. It's not just you got some juicy gossip, and you're going to say it over, and then you're going to feel bad afterwards for a moment. But we're talking about that there's a moment where the Yitzhahara confronts you in a way that can do damage, which is irreparable. Irreparable. I don't even want to give too graphic a, descri- a description or of, a, of an example. You're on a business trip, you're at the bar, you meet someone, it's a co-worker, an opportunity presents itself. People ruin and destroy their lives. Not just that, someone comes to you with a business deal, it's cutting a few corners, it's not really abiding by the rules. But you know what? It's so tempting. The return is huge, and you convince yourself it's in the gray, it's not really in the black and white. And so you're going to make a decision that in a couple months or years later, if you get caught, will destroy your world. There are times the Yitzhahara confronts us in a way where it's not just a momentary lapse of judgment, which the repercussions are not that great and they can be repaired easily. There are times we confront the Yitzhahara where the damage is almost irreparable. The example of the Nazir and the story in the Dharam, and the Nazir confronts Yitzhar and says, I see you, Yitzhar, I see what you're trying to do to me, and I see that if I give in to you, I lose everything. I lose everything. We all know the long list, Elliot Spitzer, Anthony Ween, and Tiger Wood. Go down the long list of people who've lost everything. Everything. Reputation, money, wife, family, everything. Who Chazal labeled him Chasida. They called him the pious, the righteous. You don't get that name unless you have some piety. In the moment that he confronted his Nisayon, he didn't come up with every rationalization, justification, excuse in order to indulge. Instead, he started screaming at it. started screaming at himself. And he dug deep. And he, and he called all the troops to come back him up. And it helped him, strengthened him, supported him to overcome it, not to give in at that moment. Better he be embarrassed then he'd be embarrassed in the eternal world. Was it last week here at the, at the Slumber class that we talked about spiritual adrenaline, the spiritual adrenal gland? Right, so the Slumber Rabbi, I guess, is continuing the same theme. That we should know Koach HaYehudi is built in Mugbal. We have power and we have strength within us which is just, it's, it's, not, it's not to be believed. It defies explanation. And if we don't believe that on the individual level, we certainly all believe it on the, on the collective level. We all know the famous quote of Mark Twain, the Persians and the Babylonians are disappeared, and the Jew, the Jew is here forever, it defies explanation. So we know collectively, we have absolutely transcended the rules of history, the rules of nature on a collective basis. The Jewish people should long ago have disappeared been absorbed into the host countries, absorbed their language, their culture, their lifestyle. And here we are, so obstinate, so stubbornly defying 
we, we belong and become citizens of the countries that host us, but we stubbornly hold on to our language and our culture and our practice and our religion. And here we are, thousands of years of exile and dispersion, accomplishing something no other people in history has ever done. So we all know that and accept that on a, on a collective level, and we have to believe it on an individual level as well. Kochol is gaber Yitzhahara al We can overcome. Other people have a natural genetic predisposition towards eating, towards anger, towards sexuality, towards whatever the proclivity is. We have been endowed with this capacity to rise above our natural predisposition. We can break, we can, uh, we can absolutely break the Yitzhahara with a display of Mesir's Nefesh, with an act of defiance, with a statement of, I'm not going to let this define me. This moment will not bring me down, will not become my leg- legacy, it will not define me. In True, when it came to Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Hashem performed 10 miracles. But you know what happens? When we were passive to those miracles, for the most part, true, we tied up the sheep and we slaughtered it in front of the Egyptians, we took their deity, took courage, took bravery, we smeared the blood on the doorpost. Yes, but for the most part, those 10 plagues were passive on our part. We didn't have to take initiative. We, didn't, we weren't most nefesh. We didn't invest or risk. So you know what happens when that happens? Even though Hashem redeemed us for the moment, but the Mitzrim survived. The Mitzrim were still extant, they existed, and therefore the threat remained. It's only with Kriyas Yamsuf, when we were Moser Nefesh, the act of Mesiris Nefesh is what obliterates that Yetzahara. That's when the Mitzrim drowned in the Yamsuf. When we confront that overwhelming Yetzahara, and we're not passively just davening to Hashem, Hashem, please remove the Yitzhahara, let me overcome it, let me not give in to it. We say, you know what? I'm going to display incredible Messias Nefesh. I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to sacrifice and suffer. I may even humiliate and embarrass myself. I'm going to do whatever it takes to overcome this Yitzhahara and not be brought down. When we're willing to be Messias Nefesh, when we're willing to reach, to go outside our comfort zone and look up at the stars and realize we're not bound by the nature of others, then we obliterate the Yitzhahara. We force it to drown and disappear. This is the most important paragraph. The Torah through Parshas B'Shalach and associating Kres Yamsuf with the Aaron of Yosef and reminding us of the mysterious Nefesh and the courage of Nachshon ben Aminadav is telling us the path of a Jew. Because the story of leaving Egypt and the story of the splitting of the sea, it's not a part of history. We're not recalling ancient past. It is eternal. Its messages ring true today. When we feel, when we feel drawn to or compelled by eating the wrong things, looking at the wrong things, making bad business decisions, acting inappropriately with our spouse, with our children, not having patience and kindness, when we feel stingy, when we feel all the tumma, the things that contaminate us, that bring us down, we have to understand that the same message of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim exists. Yitzhiz 
The answer is not to sit back passively and fatalistically and just say Tehillim and say, Hashem, help me not have that Yetzirah. Help me be more patient. Help me control my eyes. Help me control where I go. Help me control what I do. The answer is so to display that mysterious Nefesh, to take that leap, to make that change, to do something drastic in our lives, to transform ourselves. And when we do, we don't just overcome for the moment the Yetzirah, but we're able to obliterate and purge the Yetzirah. So how do we remember to do this? How do we remember in the middle of the week? Somebody offers us that business deal which is cutting corners. Or that website cookie pops up that makes us want to look at something we shouldn't be looking at. Or we have the juicy Lashon Hara we want to share. Or our spouse or children challenge us that we want to react by yelling and screaming and throwing things. Hopefully not them. One of the things. So how do we overcome? So that's what he's saying. Zeich L'Tiyas Mitzrayim. Shabbos and Yontif. When we say Zeich L'Tiyas Mitzrayim on Shabbos and Yontif, we're not just talking about the Makos of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We're talking about Kriyas Yamsuf. We're remembering the inner power. Shabbos, we we go outside our comfort zone. We put on different clothing and our table looks like a different table and we're singing and we're, and we're sharing thoughts and ideas and we're tapping into a piece, a supernatural piece of ourselves. During the week, we can't shut down. If I take your phone from you for three hours, you'll have heart palpitations. You'll, you'll have an absolute coronary. You'll have a panic attack. Who can live without their technology for, for one hour in today's day and age? But Shabbos, that's the nature. The new nature of the human being is to not be able to disconnect, to not live without technology. What if someone needs me? What am I missing? What's my FOMO? What's my... And Shabbos comes, Zeich L'Tiyaz Mitzrayim is Jomo, not FOMO, the joy of missing out. Shabbos comes, Zeich L'Tiyaz Mitzrayim. I, what happened to my nature that I can't give up my phone? I can't give up my Netflix. I can't give up my... Shabbos comes, there's no temptation. L'mala I go outside my comfort zone. Shabbos is Zeich L'Tiyaz Mitzrayim. And that reminds me during the week that even when I have that challenge and I have that compulsion, I have the capacity to transcend. I have the strength to transcend. I have the ability to define myself. That just as collectively we are not bound by the laws of nature and history, we have stubbornly persevered and triumphed, and so too individually, even though we confront equal and parallel forces like have tried to exterminate the Jewish people, we have spiritual forces that try to exterminate the Jewishness in us. They try to convince us we're like everyone else. Watch what everyone else watches. Act like everyone else watches. Be like everybody else. We have that capacity, like Yosef, like the Jewish people, like Nachshon, to be able to transcend it.